7.33 nearly, and the shocking telegram sex abuse scandal I just referred to, which saw dozens of women and young girls blackmailed into performing sexual acts and enduring violence for paid chat room members, has apparently shown the depths of depravity in our society and more prevalent than many of us would imagine. To find out why sexual violence is being perpetuated and even... Uh, evolving from a legal perspective, we welcome on the line Kim Hee Jin, attorney at law with the International Child Rights Centre, a soul-based non-profit devoted to advancing the lives of children. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Um, there may be a number of reasons women and children may be um, unable to escape prostitution or sexual exploitation of various kinds. Are there some reasons, though, that you'd like to highlight from a legal perspective? The most important thing is the current legislation in the Act on the Protection of Children and Juveniles Against Sexual Abuse, where an investigation agency determines that our children's involvement in prostitution was voluntary, then the children are regarded as children involved, rather than as victimized children. Such involved children will be completely excluded from the support system for victims of sexual violence, including legal aid and some proud children's centers for sexually abused children. Instead, they are subject to protective orders as those who have committed a crime. In response, sex buyers threaten children involved by saying, Reporting us will punish you as well. As a result, many children fail to provide further statements. What usually happens to to men, though, who purchase sex, um, or to girls or women who sell sex when when they get to court here? First, lenient sentences, including probation, are used for adult offenders convicted of child sexual exploitation and abuse. But more of a problem is the children who are exploited in prostitution, who are not regarded as victims, but rather as joint offenders in fact. What uh, legislative efforts then have been made to, to treat women exploited as victims instead of legally classing, classifying them even as child sex workers and, and subjecting them to protective dispositions, in inverted commas? Uh, two cases. In August 2016 and February 2017, an amendment to the Act was brought to the National Assembly, which deletes the concept of children involved and the articles on the protective orders Introduce comprehensive supported centers for victims of sexual exploitation of children. On June 15, 2017, the National Human Rights Commission of Korea recommended that legislators make a separate decision on the amendment of the Act that deletes the article on children involved. However, there was no change. The amendment has passed the Gender Equality and Family Committee within the National Assembly before two years ago, but the Legislation and Judiciary Committee has not even begun deliberation. 
Why, though, is this bill still in limbo? Well, the Legislation and Judicial Committee said the reason why they have not begun deliberation is that there is a different opinion between the relevant ministries. The Ministry of Justice had submitted an opposing opinion to the amendment. I mean, we might ask ourselves, though, what's wrong with last year's proposal from a Justice Department official to stop referring to children under 16 as, uh, as children involved and to exempt them from protective dispositions? The proposal of the Justice Department is clearly contrary to inter- international human rights norms and standards. The Convention on the Rights of the Child defines a child as a human being below the age of 18 years. All children exploited in prostitution should be viewed as victims, regardless of the reason. Since 2008, the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child has repeatedly recommended to amend the relevant legislation in order to ensure that children victims of prostitution are not subject to punishment. The state party's obligation to protect the children from all forms of sexual exploitation, including sex trafficking, has not been fulfilled. Yeah, so, so I mean, that's something I know that you've told other media here as well concerning the UN Committee on the, on the Rights of the Child. And it is remarkable that children would not be viewed as victims in, in such cases. Um, but if we could just finish with a, a question, has the stance from the Justice Minister or the Justice Department overall changed at all since the interim case sparked public fury? No changes yet, although the Minister of Justice announced that they will respond strongly to sexual exploitation crimes. The problem is that a children-involved regulation is not included in the discussion. On the 1st of April, April, a civil society coalition started a petition arguing for a passage of the amendment to the National Assembly. Some expert group also asked the Minister of Justice to urgently meet. So this procedure, I hope that Ministry of Justice will reconsider its perspective and stance. Kim Hee-jin, Attorney at Law, International Child Rights Centre, thank you for joining us and really good luck with your efforts. Thank you for inviting me. Please pay attention to this issue. So, well, no problems for me paying attention with young children myself. It's absolutely horrific. But I don't think you need to have any connection to children to uh, to be horrified by what's happened in this case. Um, you don't even have to have a sister or, or a mother that you're particularly close to to worry about it or a wife or a girlfriend. But many of us fit into at least one of these categories. Uh, and that's just the men, of course. Um all of us, no matter where we are, our own gender, our circumstances, it's a it's a, a duty, in a sense, to rise up. And I think many people have done that through the presidential office petitions that we've seen, for example. The horror has been clear to see. Um, we can continue our discussion now with Dr. Catherine Siegfried-Speller from the Department of Computer and Information Technology at Purdue University, whose research includes child pornography investigations. Thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you so much. Um, so they're calling it the nth room case. And I mean, one of the issues with that in itself is that calling it that or the telegram scandal acts as a kind of euphemism and covers up 
to a certain extent for people who are not clear on the case just how grievous the case is. Uh, Organised sex crime, serious violation of human rights, including underage victims. How do you view the case from the outside? Well, that is one of the problems with using the term child pornography. So we've tried to move away from um, that language because it gives this idea that the child is involved and is consenting to those photos and videos being taken. And so instead, we really try to use terms like child sexual exploitation material or child sexual uh, material. And so even then, making sure that we're using the right terms when we talk about these types of crimes, I think it's going to help us understand uh, the gravity of the situation. And how serious is the issue of digital sexual violence globally? Well, I mean... This is a problem all over the world, and so if you think about 59% of the world has Internet access, that is a lot of potential suspects. And with minors now um, being younger and younger, when they access technology and um, start using technology, that also means that you're increasing the likelihood of a minor becoming a victim. One of the arguments that you sometimes hear is that people claim that even when they're minors, they are somehow complicit because they um, may even voluntarily give up certain images in return for money or under pressure or whatever the reasons may be. Uh, I'd just like to give you the opportunity to respond to that kind of defense, which I certainly would not want to put forward myself. Yes, so that is a a common defense that you will hear. Um, So in this case, you know, we talk about sextortion. And sextortion is a non-physical form of coercion, um, obviously blackmail, and it requires um, sexual content from the child, engage in sexual contact with the child, and it's all about obtaining money um, also from that child as well. So even if the child is being given gifts, or appears to be consenting to it, they're being tricked into doing this. That's where the coercion comes from. And I think it's really important to remember that um, we were talking about a child here. We're talking about a minor, and this isn't an adult. Now, even with sextortion cases, the majority of the cases are going to have victims under the age of 18, but even an adult can be tricked and blackmailed um, after providing a um, sexually graphic photo, for instance. And so in that case, then, um, sextortion could still be involved, and we would call that non-consensual pornography. One of the, um, the issues with pornography generally is that once material is out there, it seems to be very difficult to, to get rid of it. We've seen that with high-profile celebrity um, sex video scandals, for example, that that, 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 you know, they just seem to be continually shared in, in the world of the Internet, the murky world of the Internet quite often. Um, and, and I mean, technically, even what you might describe as mainstream pornography is not legally accessible here in Korea. But uh, with VPNs and various other means, people will find ways of accessing what they feel they need to access. So I just I'm just wondering what happens to this material that's already out there. So it's, what you said is exactly true. Once the material is out there, it's really hard to get rid of. Um, it's probably nearly impossible to get rid of. Um, I know here in the United States with child sexual exploitation material, if a victim, um, they can enroll in a program where if they want to be notified when their image becomes, um, I guess, or shows up in a, uh, a case, in a, a child pornography user's collection, for example, they can actually uh, receive restitution from that offender. And so um, some victims will enroll in those types of programs. 
other victims will not because they don't want to know because they will realize that that content will always be out there and you just cannot get rid of it. Which if you're uh, a young teenager or even younger, that is horrific to have that knowledge and and perhaps uh, debilitating for a lifetime. You can imagine the, the sort of impact that it might have on someone. This can be orchestrated. Absolutely. Yeah, indeed. I mean, it goes without saying almost. But the, the, um, the, the other aspect of this that I wanted to raise is that, that, of course, we should be clamping down on the adult rings that organize this or, or perpetrate the desire for this. But I've come across stories here in, in Korea of this starting, say, at middle school level or even earlier, where, where it'll be bullying in social media chat groups, for example, and they will be picking on a girl, let's say, and demanding that she reveal a, a topless image of herself. And it, it, sometimes it's other girls joining boys in making this demand, so it's not even necessarily a gender divide there. And, and this sort of thing can happen without parents or teachers being aware. I just want to know from you whether you think that is something we should be grouping in with this is a problem yeah so um what happens is is that with the internet people get online and there's a psychological um not a condition a process called de-individualization and essentially what that means is that you lose your identity that um this this idea that the things that you would do in the real world um you can now do them or that you wouldn't do in the real world you can now do them online because of anonymity because you are in this group setting and it's almost um like kind of like gang behavior or rioting um that deindividualization occurs in those types of physical contexts but you can see the exact same thing occurring in um a chat context for example and so um these the psychological concepts that we have in the physical world, they, they do apply online. And so, yes, you can see um, these rings occurring and bullying occurring. And again, that's all driven quite a bit by anonymity and deindividualization. So, uh, in a, to sort of wrap this up, is, is uh, a solution to reduce our level of privacy online and to make people feel less anonymous. And, of course, for some people, that will raise unacceptable knock-on concerns. But what's your view? Yeah, so instead of saying that we need to take away something like this, right, like like the Internet and make it so that you can't be anonymous anymore, um, I think it really comes down to education, to being willing to have these conversations with your children about the safety of social media, I think it's important for, um, you know, even children online, when they see something like this happening, there's something called the bystander effect and knowing that they should be able to step in and feel empowered and also tell a trusted adult uh, what's happening online. And I know with the ninth case, you know, when I was reading some different articles, there were suggestions that this had been reported to law enforcement prior to the actual case exploding. And so, mm. again, how do we get those, how do we make sure that those tips are taken seriously? But the problem is that there are so many social media apps. And as soon as one app, you know, shut down or taken down, you just have another app that's going to take its place again. And so, for, even from a law enforcement or a journalist perspective, it's so hard to stay in tune with technology because it's ever-changing. Dr. Catherine Siegfried Speller from Purdue University, thank you for joining us. Thank you, sir. Take care.